Welcome back, Lee family, to this Bible study podcast. This is Chaplain Jeff giving Kyle a break this week as we pick up where he left off. And we are in John 2, verses 13 through 25. So let's read the passage and then we'll get some context together here and we'll see where we land. Let's read the passage here together. This is John 2, verses 13 through 25. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went to the temple, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. He made a scourge of cords and drove them out of the temple. With the sheep and the oxen, he poured out the coins of money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered what was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews said to him, What sign do you have to show us as your authority for these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said to him, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of the body, so when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So what I would like to do is give some context to what we just read. And to help with that, I think we need to look at a little bit understanding Kyle's last bit uh, from the beginning of chapter two, where Jesus turned water into wine uh, from the last uh, podcast that was done. Uh, we need to look at that and say, hey, this is John, author John. Uh, this was him saying that was a sign of Jesus's ministry. Like that was the first sign of Jesus's ministry was turning that water into wine. And now in the second part of John 2, in this passage we read today, this is kind of the first public act. Like Jesus is um, out in public doing an act of ministry of authority in cleansing the temple. Now, for some understanding, this wasn't Jesus's first time walking into this temple and seeing the temple and what it had become. Uh, he has been in there plenty of time before. It's just that this encounter we read uh, is where he takes a, a public act of ministry, and it happens to be happening over the time of Passover. Uh, and so Passover, this is a celebration time for the Jews. This is God delivering the Jewish people from Egypt and in remembrance of the Passover lambs that were sacrificed in the first Passover, which if you want to look at that, that's back in Exodus 13. So lambs were sacrificed in Jerusalem each Passover. So Jews came for, uh, to the temple from all over Israel, really kind of the known world there at the time. All the Jews would come back to the temple and around this Passover time. So most of the time, the Jews could not be bringing their animals with them to sacrifice uh, just because of the distance. And, and also, it was probably the time at the Passover where there was a temple tax that had to be paid. So it was also time to pay your tax. And because people were coming from all these other places, they probably needed to exchange money into the one accepted 
for the tax payment. So uh, all this was a necessity. People needed the animals uh, and people needed to exchange money. So that wasn't the problem of what, of what it was. That was all a necessity. It's just that this was taking place inside the temple. Um, the sacrificial animals and the money, the changing tables, this was located in this court of the Gentiles. If you look at like how the temple was laid out, this is just um, uh, the outer rim of the temple, if you think about that, kind of the outs, outer, outer parts of the temple grounds. So this was actually a place in the temple design that was designated for believing Gentiles uh, to pray and worship. And, and at the time now, with all this merchant stuff going on, it was cluttered. Uh, and you probably walk in there and you would hear the sounds of coins hitting tables, of animals making noise. Everyone's loud and conducting business, right? Business in a crowd environment, that's, that's a noisy thing. So it's probably not uh, the best place to find peace and a place to seek the Lord as the temple was intended. And so because of this, Jesus was offended. Not, not that the pilgrims that came in, all these Jews that came in, needed to purchase these animals in exchange, um, but that the temple had become something other than its main function as a house of prayer. And it turned into something more like a market, which everyone kind of brought their produce and was kind of selling in there. And add to it, probably the temple leaders were probably getting a, a piece of the pie here. They're probably uh, saying, hey, you can use this space, but you're going to pay me a little bit off what you made. So there's probably some corruption all the way through in there. So in response to this, Jesus kind of calls him out in this dramatic way. And he dumps all these tables and he's got like a whip going after people. Like it had to have been quite a scene, uh, to be honest. And obviously, if you're going to do something like that, you're ruffling some feathers along the way. And so what was interesting uh, that John wrote in here is that uh, the words of Jesus here, he says, take these things away, stop making my father's house a place of business. And uh, this is the first use that John uh, had Jesus, his words where he used the word father. And so that's a pretty big deal here because uh, Jesus identifying as um, God being his father, being introduced to us as readers here, that's a big narrative through the rest of the book. So I wanted to point that out. So after he does all this, everyone's like, uh, Jesus, what are you doing? And by what authority do you have to assert this? And Jesus replies in kind of this interesting way. He says, okay, here's my authority. He says, you destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days, which that doesn't make sense if you're talking about the physical temple. Like if, if anyone knows how long it takes to build a building, I think it's a lot of us at least coming to see these buildings going up. This building took 46 years. Uh, the temple was 46 years. Uh, if you gave us 46 years to build something, we're going to build something quite grand. You could easily look at that and go, you're not going to build this thing in three days. So that didn't make sense. But obviously Jesus was talking about himself, his body there. And so, um, well, it didn't make sense to everyone that heard it. Jesus's disciples that were there didn't understand that either of these sayings when, when Jesus said them. But after Jesus's resurrection, they were able to recall that and say, wait a second, this can increase in their own faith. They realize that even back then, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, uh, they realized that Jesus had foreseen his death and resurrection in that. And so pretty pretty encouraging thing for the disciples to recall back there. Um, 
speaking to the disciples more than the rulers, for sure, when he was giving a reply. And just a little side note to that. I love these little things that are part of our relationship with the Lord. I love when God speaks to us and when it doesn't always make sense to us. Uh, and, and sometimes it just needs a little bit of time to go by. It's kind of this adventure with God. When you're in a relationship with him, you communicate with the Lord, you start to pick up on things. Uh, and maybe you feel led to things or you, you do things, you act on things and it didn't make complete sense, or maybe some things are going on in life and it didn't quite make sense in the moment. But in time you reflect on it and you see uh, how that played into the greater story of your life and how all the pieces can kind of come together. And so this is one of those times that the disciples were able to do that. And I just love that when that happens in my own life and it's encouraging to me. So I wanted to point that out. This last bit, and honestly, this is, to me, out of this whole passage, this is one of the most interesting things. This is down in verse 24. And this is the part where uh, they say, uh, where Jesus says that Jesus did not commit, or depends on your translation, you're reading the Bible, it might say entrust himself to them, that Jesus did not entrust himself to them, meaning the people at the temple there. And he did not entrust himself to them, meaning that this is the same word, that word entrust is the same word that is used for believing in him. When John's talking about us believing in him, he's using the same word. And so looking at that, that is to believe that Christ, um, if, if Christ was to entrust himself, that would mean I'm going to commit ourselves to them and to their guidance. And so what, what John is saying there is that Jesus did not commit himself to the people there. He did not entrust them to their guidance, uh, to the masses there. And I think there's just reason for that. Christ um, did not see cause to entrust these new converts in Jerusalem, the people in the temple there, uh, meaning allowing them to give guidance to his life where he had probably some enemies that sought to destroy him or they had political motives. Uh, and a lot of this, I think, has to do with that they didn't know at this time Jesus for his real identity. They didn't know him for the Christ. They they knew Jesus as a healer. And so uh, they didn't have the right perspective on who he was. So I want you to grasp this, because when it, it says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to people, he did entrust himself to others, though. So I want I want you to to grab a hold of that in this passage. Jesus didn't want... Um, to entrust himself to people who are after a quick fix, or he didn't want to be looked upon as someone who just runs around and grants wishes <laughs> in healing and things. So true followers of Jesus are those who desire a deep personal relationship with him for who he is, for his love for us, for the price that was paid. And what amazes me through this entire thing is that he entrusted himself to the 12 disciples. He entrusted himself to them, even though their faith was was small, it was growing at the time. He entrusted himself to a guy that was later going to betray him. So I, I've been putting this in the context of a book that I've been reading over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I just uh, got through this book called Complete Family Wealth. And it's actually a book that was written for very hyper wealthy families, like families with tons of money. And it's a book on how to grow and maintain wealth across family generations. So uh, it is not 
uh, a book for me per se. I am not the target market in that. I don't have wealth to go generations, but I was intrigued by it and I got the book and wanted to read it. So while I can't relate to the financial parts of the book, it was really good on other areas of family dynamics and, fi- and family attributes, how you pass that down, which is kind of what I was curious about. Um, so I think about that in context, because to be honest, if I was Jesus, I, I knew the group that I was entrusting myself to. I knew humans' disposition f- to corrupt things. I probably would have just wanted to do a book like this book I'm reading. I probably would have been Jesus. I, I would have said, you know what? Maybe I don't entrust myself to these people. I'm just going to write all my teachings out. It'll make perfect sense. They can't mess with it. There will be complete clarity. Everyone will get understanding here. But that, is, that isn't that uh, is what he did. He, to me, the book would seem like you're going to get it more right. But Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to entrust myself into these disciples, which in the end, that is us. He entrusted himself to you. He, is in, he has entrusted himself to me. We are his hands and feet for his mission on earth. Um, And so he has entrusted it to us. In spite of our weakness, he has entrusted us. I love that. So really, that is my hope uh, in prayer for you this week or the next couple weeks here, especially as we kind of get through this whole crazy virus season and things start to pick back up here over the coming weeks. Uh, Just take a, a little breather here. Accept that while we have weaknesses, that that is actually kind of what qualified us to be entrusted. Uh, it's just that we need to give an expression of him in us, a reflection of him in us by maintaining this relationship with him, by pursuing relationship with the Lord and enjoying the adventure before us. Bless you guys. Bye.